How are you all doing? I was going to say good night, but that's kind of, maybe at the end of service I'll say that instead. How are you guys all doing tonight? Good? Good. All right. Well, um, before we start with the lesson tonight, the gospel is good news is what we're going to be looking at. Um, we just want to pray for Brother Jim, who's here with us. He said he was going to be going in for a hernia surgery. Is that right? And so we just want to agree with him for God's power to work through that process and that he would be healed and the doctors would have wisdom and he'd have comfort from any pain or thing like that. So would you all agree in prayer with me for him right now? Let's just pray together. Father God, we thank you for your healing power that is available and present uh, for Jim. Lord, we pray that as he goes in to speak with the doctors and the nurses, Lord, um, his faith um, to have comfort from the pain would, would be present and you would give him that kind of comfort. Holy Spirit, you are called the comforter in the word and we know um, that that is comfort for every area of life. And so I pray that you comfort him and, and you s cause all pain to cease. And as he speaks with those doctors and medical professionals, Lord, I pray that they have the wisdom to know how to approach um, any surgery or repair on his body that they may be looking to do and, and give them the wisdom and guidance and uh, smooth hands as they work on, on his physical body, Lord. We thank you for your power, your wisdom, and your guidance um, as he looks to uh, be healed in, in both the spiritual and natural way, Lord. We thank you for it, and we believe in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, well, tonight we are going to be continuing in our series, um, The Answers Throughout the Bible Course. And uh, just to begin tonight, I, I want to, it's been a few weeks since we last uh, looked at one of these lessons, and so I wanted to start just again with the encouragement that if you've got um, a child or, or a family member in one of our other classes tonight, whether you're here in service or even watching online, um, as you listen to this message. It's very much a teaching um, series that we're going through about the Bible, about apologetics, being able to give a defense for our faith and our belief, and um, really be able to explain to people why it is we believe what we believe and explain some of the things um, that people are sometimes questioning in the Word. And so as we go through this, uh, you know, with, with culture and society the way it is, and, and in a way kind of adverse to Christianity, we want to be prepared to give a defense for our faith. Amen? And we want our, our kids to be prepared to give a defense for their faith, faith as well. And so um, part of the reason we're doing this is so that families um, can have times of discussion about these things. That um, as we leave church tonight, uh, we can talk to our kids and, and anyone else really, our, our family, our relatives, our friends, anybody that would be open to having a discussion about that. Uh, that's really the purpose of this material is to... Uh, equip us to be good at uh, expressing and having a discussion about our faith. And so um, tonight as we study this, I, I really hope that you all approach it as I do with that mindset that I am equipping myself to go and have conversations, equipping myself to go and evangelize and, and talk to people, not just to have it as head knowledge for myself, but to go out and share it with others and help my kids be able to share with their peers at school and uh, really shine a light of truth into the world around us. Amen. So let's get into the word tonight. We're going to begin uh, looking at the gospel is good news. Now this, this is a, a fundamental truth of our Christian faith. Uh, we talk about the gospel. Uh, we talk about how it is good news. And tonight one of the main keys we're going to look at is why is it that the gospel is good news. And so we're going to look at some scriptures that um, I, I and I'm sure many of you are very familiar with. We've read these before. We, we know what the word says about the good news, but it's good to look through it in a in an ordered course so we can we can walk people through the progression of why the gospel is truly so good and to begin we need to understand not only why the gospel is good news but i think to know why something is so good we also must understand um, what was bad before you know, in, in order to fully appreciate the goodness, or we could even say the greatness of our gospel, we need to understand um, the, the badness or the evil um, that existed before gospel was present. And so it makes me think, just to give you kind of an example of what we're starting with tonight, is how in a movie, you know, in a movie so many times it begins with a look at a problem. A situation, a circumstance, something that our, you know, our hero or our team in the movie has to overcome to be victorious. There is um, something bad at the start, 
that is an obstacle which is overcome, which in the end is, is the good news of the movie, the good news of our story is that we're overcomers, we're winners, we have uh, achieved the desired result. And so in the same way, with our gospel, there is both a victory that, is, that Christ obtained, but there was also something uh, bad that there was to overcome. And so when we go to Romans 3 verse 23 to begin tonight, we're, we're looking first at the bad news that was before Jesus, so that we can fully appreciate the good news of Christ. Romans 3, verse 23, it says, For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And our first point of of what we must understand as bad news to fully appreciate the good news is that because God is holy, He cannot dwell with a sinful man. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. That means that God has a standard of glory, and when we fall short of that, we fall short of relationship with God. Now, we're going to find good news for us in Jesus about that, but the bad news before Christ was that all had fallen short of God's glory. All had fallen short of the ability on our own to be in relationship and in God's presence. Moving on to our next point, uh, the second element B of our bad news is that because God is perfectly just... That injustice or shortness of glory must be paid for. Romans 6.23 says, For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. So this is bad news for us because if we've all fallen short of the glory, if we've all um, sinned and, and fallen short like the Word says, it says the wages of sin is death, and the gift of God is eternal life. And so if we had to pay the wage of our sin, the price of our sin, well, it's paid in death. And so we we understand that part of the bad news that was pre-Christ was that without Him, I'd have to pay for the wages of my sins. I'd have to pay the price for uh, my, my wrongdoing. And that price is death. Our next point uh, about understanding the bad news, and I promise you we're not going to talk about bad news all night. We're going to get to good news, and then we're all going to shout and say hallelujah. But the bad news, uh, a third point in it, just building upon what we've already talked about, because of the fall, mankind is born sinful and spiritually dead. It says in Ephesians 2 verse 1, And you he made alive who were dead in trespasses and sins. You know, we, we had sinned, we had fallen short, and that's, that's because it was part of our nature. Before Jesus came and made us alive, we were diagnosed as spiritually dead in trespasses and sins. Now, we already talked about the wage having to be paid for. It says no good works. In Isaiah 64, verse 6, it talks about our filthy rags of righteousness, our works of righteousness, how they're compared to filthy rags when that is what we show to God to redeem us. When we say, Lord, you know, here is my good work. Can this pay the price for my sin? He compares it uh, to filthy rags, to messed up, dirty clothes. He said that that does not pay the price. That is not sufficient payment for the, the price that was earned in sin. And so no good works we may do in our life will ever fulfill the wage or injustice that has been indebted to us by, by our sinful um, actions and, and, and uh, nature that we had before Christ. And then uh, f- the final part of the bad news, and you know, I just really want to get through the bad news because I like talking about the good news. But Revelation 21 verse 8 you know, it's, it's really a bad news scripture. It's really gloomy if, if you're reading this without Jesus as part of your life. It says, but the cowardly, unbelieving, abominable, murderers, sexually immoral, sorcerers, idolaters, and all liars shall have their part in the lake which burns with fire and brimstone, which is the second death. The final part of the bad news is that because we're all you know, guilty and we all have um, this, this price before Christ that was a part of our life that must be paid for, is that the punishment of death, the way that that is paid for is in hell. That's bad news. Isn't that bad news that you know, without Christ... And, and the reason this is so important to know is because there's a wor- world full of people carrying around uh, a, a price, a wage that has been earned through sin. And they, some are completely clueless that there's going to be a day that they have to pay the price. You know, I, I just think about 
You know, you can go and finance a vehicle, you can go and finance a house, but there comes a time, maybe it's the first day of the month, maybe it's a different date, but there comes a time where a bill shows up at your house and you have to pay it. And if you don't pay it, someone comes knocking to get the payment. You know, I, I think in terms of, of sin and the wage of death, which is earned by sin, there are a lot of people in the world that are on the repossession list. There is going to come a time in life, they haven't maybe experienced it yet, but when they die naturally, the bill's going to come due. And what they weren't expecting to have to pay for, they're going to have to pay for. And so part of, I believe, our job as Christians, part of us evangelizing and talking about the good news is we have to alert people to the fact that there is a price that is going to come due. At, at the end of our natural life on earth or when Jesus returns, there is going to come a day where this wage must be paid for. This, this um, debt that we've incurred uh, from sin is going to have to be paid off someday. And it either, there are two options, it's either going to be paid off with an eternity in hell on the part of that individual or the other way to pay it off is through the blood of Jesus Christ. And that is the good news. 2 Corinthians 5 verse 21, where we will go next, is going to talk about the good news is that God sent His Son Jesus to live a perfect life and fulfill the wage or the debt of injustice, of our sin. He has fulfilled and paid off that debt in full. 2 Corinthians 5 verse 21 says, For He made Him who knew no sin to be sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in Him. Hallelujah. Amen. He sent Him who knew no sin to be sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in Him. Let's just break that down a little bit and talk about what that verse means. Now, we see first that it says, For He made Him who knew no sin to be sin for us. Jesus knew no sin. Now, it, it almost seems like something we shouldn't have to say, but, but if, if someone wasn't familiar with you know, the scriptures or they weren't familiar with church language, you might say, he who knew no sin to be sin for us. What that does not mean is that Jesus had no awareness of sin. He was clearly aware of sin. He was clearly, as we see as he went um, into the wilderness after he had received the Holy Spirit and been baptized, he was tempted by the devil to sin. And, and he resisted. He, he said no to sin. And so when it says that he knew no sin, it does not mean Jesus was not aware of sin. He was very aware of sin. He was very aware of the price that had to be paid as a result of sin. But what he knew no sin means is that Jesus never once became intimate with sin. Amen. To know means to become intimate with. To to understand, to have experienced, to have um, participated in. And Jesus never knew sin. He never became involved um, with sin. We, we could say he was sinless, without sin. He never um, committed sin. He, he was whole and righteous. And it says he made him who knew no sin to be sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God. And so first, the first part of the good news here that Jesus forgave us of our debt is that he knew no sin, which means he was qualified to forgive the rest of us from our sin. Um, that, he, that we might become the righteousness of God in Him. So, to be sin, it says He knew no sin, He made Him who knew no sin to be sin for us. To be sin. You know, if, if we, we talked about that phrase, He made Him who knew no sin, He made Him to be sin on our behalf. He made him to be sin on our behalf. He made Jesus, who was perfect and completely uninvolved in and completely untarnished by sin, and he was turned into sin on our behalf. I think we see a picture of this in Leviticus 4, verses 3 through 4. Now we're going to go back and read out of the Old Testament and the law and how the Israelites um, made reconciliation with God. You know, their process was one of sacrifice, just as our New Testament covenant is obtained through sacrifice. And what their practices, we'll read here in just a moment, would be is that they would take something that was considered perfect and sinless, and they would turn it into sin on their behalf. What that means is they would place the weight and the consequences of sin 
on a creature. Many times uh, a lamb or, or a bull, and, or there were others, and, or, or there'd be grain offerings. They, they would transfer the payment or the debt from them and transfer it to this other thing which would then be sacrificed. As we read in Leviticus 4 here, it says, If the anointed priest sins, bring the guilt on the people, then let him offer to the Lord for his sin which he has sinned, a young bull without blemish, as a sin offering. He shall bring the bull to the door of the tabernacle of meeting before the Lord, lay his hands on the bull's head and kill the bull before the Lord. Now this is just one of, I mean, hundreds of verses about the sacrifice of one thing for another. And if you'd like to read the many examples, go to Leviticus um, and, and Deuteronomy and, and it's all right there. But what we see here is a bull. It says a bull without blemish, a bull that was perfect, a bull that would have been considered um, innocent or, or without tarnish on it was brought. Sin then, it says, he shall bring the bull to the door of the tabernacle before the place um, which would be offered to the Lord. Lay his hand on the bull's head and kill the bull before the Lord. What that means is that when that bull came forward, that priest would lay his hand on the bull's head, signifying a transfer of my debt onto this creature. I'm now transferring the wages and the, the debt that I owe because of my wrongdoing and my sin, and I'm now putting it on this bull. And then that bull would be sacrificed as payment for the sin. So I don't have to experience this death. This creature is going to die on my behalf. What we have in Christ is that he became sin like that bull would become sin. It, and, and really it the kind of becoming that Jesus would be is, is so much more than even what happened in the Old Testament with those animals because he not only took away the sin or covered it up for a time, but he completely washed us clean and made us new. He provided through his blood a, a grace to live that was not even present um, when, when an animal was, was killed for sin uh, to be paid for. And so this transfer of sin is part of our good news. That there is a way to take sin off of our shoulders and put it onto Christ. That is good news. Because it gives us a way of payment that does not require death from us. Isn't that good news? It says that we might become righteous. The ability to be righteous is accessible for all, but dependent on our response to Jesus. That's what we see in 2 Corinthians 5.21. The ability to be made righteous, to have our sin paid off, is accessible to all people, but it is completely dependent on our individual response to Jesus. That means that anybody can be saved, but not all will be saved. Because though it is available to everybody, it's dependent on our reaction um, to Jesus. It's dependent on our response in making Him Lord and Savior. Romans 10 verses 9 and 10 shows us this. It says that if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God has raised Him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. And so it is our response to what Jesus has done that provides us access um, to this paying off of our spiritual debt. Amen? The next part of our good news is that we are brought into the family of God as heirs, sons and daughters. So the first part of our good news that we've talked about is we have a way for our debt to be paid off. And that is a wonderful thing. Furthermore, I mean, like, really, that, that should be enough good news to just make us all want to jump up and down and shout hallelujah that I don't have to pay the price for my sin. But Jesus takes it a step further. He, he adds to the good news. He adds to the benefit beyond just the fact that my sin has been paid off. In Romans 8, verse 16 through 17, it says, The Spirit Himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ, if indeed we suffer with Him, that we may also be glorified together. That means that we do not have this like lesser status of, you know, he, he paid for me, he, he bought me, and so now I just have to live as this lowly little, you know, worm of the earth is the, the term that I, I guess I hear. You know, we don't have a lesser status. We don't have um, lesser access to God just because it, it was through purchase that we were made right. 
He makes us his children. He, he turns us into his sons and daughters. He makes us an heir, which means we're inheritors of his kingdom, inheritors of his promise, inheritors of his supply. We aren't just barely making it. We're, we're not just sliding into heaven, barely, if, if we're living in the full reality of what Jesus bought for us. And we aren't on a limited access or probationary period. I thought that was kind of a, a neat thing too. We, we don't have like this trial period. When we become part of God's family, we are sons and daughters immediately. He doesn't say, no, before, before I can really bring you know, my promise into your life, I'm going to need you to just prove it out for a while. I'm, I'm going to need you to prove that you're really one of my children. I'm going to need you to prove that, that you're acting like a son and daughter before I'll make you one. No, part of the good news of Christ is that we are made children of the Most High God. Sons and daughters, heirs. And the third thing I'd like us to talk about in, with the good news is that we are made new and better than we ever were before. In 2 Corinthians 5.17 it says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. And that is good news because I don't like who I used to be. I don't, I don't like the old man who was wrapped up in sin and, and, and confined to a life of, of condemnation and sin and cycles that I could never break out of, uh, powerlessness. That all, if, if we're living in the full reality of the gospel, that all goes away when we obtain new life in Christ. Not only does He forgive us of our debt and bring us into the family, but He makes us completely new. He wipes the slate clean and provides us uh, a fresh start to live life in the full promise. Now getting into the historic and, and apologetic section. So this is kind of going to be some of the, the points. Obviously what we've talked to up to this point, you could absolutely use in discussion with other individuals if they're asking, well, why, you know, what's so good about your good news? What's so good about the gospel? Uh, I just want to talk a little bit about how the gospel is the singular good news for eternity. It is the singular Message that has the power to save. We're going to look at this just a little bit in, in the rest of our time tonight. See, more good news about the gospel is that it is not one maybe among many beliefs. It is the way. It is the way. In fact, um, and, and this wasn't in the preparation material, but it was something that I was reminded of while I was studying. In the early church, before the term Christian was ever used, what we would call Christians today, followers of Jesus, were entitled followers of the way. That, that was the original, you know, Christian denomination, the Christian faith. It was called the way. The way. Because that's what it was. That's what it is. That's what Jesus said is, I am the way. I am the way to eternal life. I am the way that, that, that will empower you in, in life and, and give you purpose. I am the way. The truth and the life. John 14, verse 6, is where we read this in the scripture. Jesus said to him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. See, Jesus Christ and making him Lord and Savior is the only way to the Father in heaven. No other name has the power to save. Acts 4 verse 12 says, Nor is there salvation in any other, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. And as we looked at before here, no works that we would ever do have the power to save us. No works that we can um, make on our own are going to pay off our debt, uh, the wage of sin that we've incurred. And so the good news and, and the reason that Jesus is the way is he was, and we're going to look more at this, why Jesus Christ was the only way, but he was the only one that fulfilled all of God's requirements to be the perfect sacrifice. The one that could come and truly take on all the sins of man on his shoulders and put them to death on the cross. You see, no other name has the power that Jesus' name has. No other name has the uh, Ability to forgive men of their sins and the debt that was incurred like the name of Jesus. And why 
is that? Let's look here for a few moments at why Christ is the only way. Now, this is a question that I just I believe it is is important for us, especially in this day and age where people are a bit they're able to access so many religious beliefs and so many systems of belief and so many theologies on you know what God is or how to get to God or how to attain. You know, some religions don't even talk about heaven. They talk about peace or, or tranquility. They talk about this you know state of of being, I mean, it's, it's lies from the enemy to get people off of the single way that there is to the Father in heaven. And so here are a few tools, things to equip us all to be able to give a defense for why Jesus is the only way. Why no other man, why no other religion, why no other system that man has created is able to save the way Jesus saves. The first reason that Christ is the only way is only he was conceived by the Spirit. Only he, in in the history of mankind, only he was conceived by God's Spirit. In um, Isaiah 7.14, we see this as a qualification. It says, Therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. The Lord, the one who would come and save humanity from sin, was going to come from a virgin birth. And that is a work of the Holy Spirit. It's a miracle. And Jesus is the only one with this qualification that was conceived of a virgin by the Spirit. A miraculous Spirit, miraculous birth was a qualification for our Savior. And Jesus is the only one with that qualification. The next reason Jesus is the only way is that only He is both God and man. John 1, 1 and 1, 14, it says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And then it says, And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld His glory, the glory as of uh, the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. What we see here is that the Word was God. Okay, the Word was God. And then it says later that the Word became man. Two completely separate beings, man and God. Very different. Jesus is the only one that has both of these combined in one. The only one that was both God and man combined into one person. It was a qualification of our Lord. He needed the power of God, but he needed the stature of man to be the Savior. In order to be qualified to take on our sin, He had to take on flesh and bone and live a, a life like we lived, but without sin, empowered by God, so that He could take on our sin, be qualified um, to have walked as we walk and, and have passed through temptation as we do and, and done so successfully so that He could take on the debt that we have incurred. And He was the only one that had this qualification. He was the only one conceived of a virgin, only one of both God and man. In 2 Corinthians 5, verse 21, um, we're going to read it right now, and it'll be for our next two points, which are, only he was without sin, and only he died a substitutionary death on behalf of us. In 2 Corinthians 5, 21, it says, For he made him who knew no sin to be sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. What this means is he, only he, was without sin. We know that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, right? Jesus did not. Jesus was without sin, which means he was uh, like that innocent or, or without imperfection animal that would have been sacrificed in the Old Testament. He was a sacrifice that was pure enough to be given to God. And he is the only one who has Well, not only is he the only one that has qualified as the perfect sacrifice, he's also the only one that has taken the weight of sin upon him and died on behalf of all of us. I don't know anyone else who has gone and died willingly for my behalf, for my benefit. Only only Christ is the one that I know. He went and he died to obtain eternal security and salvation for me. He is the only one. And only he... See, this is a qualification too, and, and it's also something that we don't see in every other religion that's out there. Only he died, or I'm sorry, only he rose from the dead, tri- triumphant over sin and death. 
See, this was necessary in order to forgive us all of sin. He had to overcome it. He had to overcome death. He had to obtain victory over it. Only he, as both God and man, had the power to do that. Any other man that had died sinful went and into death and into hell, and they did not come back. Christ did because he was empowered by God for that purpose. Only he rose from the dead triumphant over sin and death. And this is a qualification to give us all triumph over sin and death. In order for us to be triumphant over the enemy, over sin, over death, we have to have been empowered by someone who had done that. In order for us to obtain forgiveness of sin, uh, we had to be forgiven by someone who beat sin. And only Christ has this qualification. And so when, when people come to me and they say, well, what about all these other great ideas about God and religion and beliefs and spirituality? What about all these other great ideas? Are you saying that these people are, are all wrong? All these other ideas are wrong? Yes. Yes. There is one way, one truth, one life. Jesus Christ. And it's because only He was qualified to be the Savior of men. Only He was qualified to purchase your sonship with God. Only He was qualified to purchase uh, your sins away from you so you could be freed and redeemed. Only He was qualified. Amen? Let's look a little bit about church history now and how the gospel and the message of Jesus has changed over the many years since he rose over uh, and, and beat death, hell, and the grave. Rose from the dead and beat death. Um, that happened in 33 AD, and it is now 2020. So we're, we're a few years down the road now. And um, the gospel, in and of itself, is still the same message, the same good news that it was uh, when it came from Jesus' mouth and, and when the disciples and the authors of our New Testament wrote it down for the first time. It is the same message, but we want to look for just a few moments here about um, how the enemy and, and culture and other uh, people have, have tried to maybe twist and make the gospel something it isn't or discredit it. Um, so let's talk for a few minutes now about church history and how our gospel has come to be today. In the Early, early first century, early preaching of the gospel brought persecution. So we're going to look at the development of the church here for just a couple of minutes. Um, very early on, when the gospel was first being preached, first being brought into the world, it brought great persecution. For two centuries, Christians were killed as martyrs, yet they refused to stop preaching the truth. For the first two centuries, when Christians, when followers of the way preached the gospel, they were, by and large, killed and persecuted. Uh, horrible atrocities were done against the followers of Jesus uh, because, well, the enemy didn't want the message to get out, for one. And, um, also, the religion of, of Jewish culture that had such a strong influence in the Mediterranean area uh, throughout Israel, you know, those who continued to believe in, in ancient, you know, the old covenant and Jewish law and, and said, well, you know, this Jesus person, he, he's, he's changing what we believe. He's, he's taking away the need for us to go and sacrifice the temple and do some of the things, the practices that we've come to know and that we've put our trust and our faith in over these years. And that was really the problem, is that Jesus was taking their faith out of works of themselves and putting it completely into what he did on the cross. And that was a challenge to say, we, these people who have sacrificed for all these years, and we have this way of doing it, and we know that God said that this is the way it works, and now you're telling us that if we just believe on you and put our faith in you, you have the power to save. Some people didn't want to accept that. But we have a much better covenant, a much better way than what they had then in Christ, don't we? And so for the first two um, centuries, Christians were killed, martyred, um, persecuted for their faith, then in uh, 312, sometime between 312 and 380 A.D., Roman officials began converting to Christianity, and it developed from a persecuted religion into the official religion of Rome. And we know the Roman Catholic Church, right? It's, it's kind of a big deal today, still. 
See, Rome, uh, they took on Christianity as the religion of their state. They accepted it as truth. And the truth is this. The gospel is good news. The gospel is full of light. And when it is being brought and preached in the world, people want it. People recognize it as truth. Some people don't like it. Some people have aversion to it because it challenges what they've believed in the past. But it is still the truth. And God still makes a way for it to go on and go out. And so Christianity became uh, an official religion. It was recognized by the state of Rome. And uh, then in, well, some time later, it says from then on, yeah, so once it became the official religion of Rome, once they had accepted it and it was allowed to be preached freely and openly, the persecution stopped, martyring, um, at least in, in Rome, stopped. Um, it says that then on, segments of the church have introduced unbiblical practices and doctrines. So the gospel that we know, well, especially in this church, what we preach is the word. And that's it. You know, we talked, to, well, it should have been last week if we were on course with our lessons, but we had a couple weeks of snow days, and so it was like three weeks ago now. We talked about uh, false prophecy, false teaching, about the enemy wanting to um, twist in, in parts uh, into the gospel that aren't biblical, that don't align with the truth. And over the centuries that the gospel has been preached, unfortunately, there have been people that have tried to bring in traditions and, and doctrines of men into uh, the truth of the gospel. Now, when we take the word and, and we take the word alone and we look to this as our final source of truth as the definitive um, guide on if it is truth from God or not, then we're safe. Uh, unfortunately, over the years, in, in some areas of religion, in, in some uh, sects of Christianity or, or different denominational things, they, there is an infusion of traditions of man, of doctrines of man, alongside the Word. Uh, you know, there, there was at, at times throughout history, the, the authority of, of certain individuals of been man, has, they've been put on par with Christ. And that is false. It's false teaching, false truth. When any man tries to take their word and put it on the same level as what God has spoken in the word, it is false teaching or false prophecy. And so over the years, in certain areas of belief, in certain, and I'm not going to go through and call them all out, okay? but I'll just say it generally this way. If something is adding to God's word, it is false. And unfortunately, over the years, I think people see a twisted version of the gospel because different you know, churches or different people who claim the name of Jesus have added a lot of man to his teaching. And unfortunately, that is no longer the truth, the way, the life that the gospel and Jesus Christ really are. And so over the years, this has, this has been something of a problem, this unbiblical practice, doctrine, and tradition being worked in um, alongside the truth. But the good news of the gospel is that God has always preserved His true word. He has always kept His word secure. Over the years, uh, reformation is something that has occurred throughout church where, you know, Doctrines of man, beliefs, practices, traditions of man begin to be infused and put on the same level as the word. But then God puts in someone's heart reformation, the, the willingness and the revelation to say, this isn't the gospel. We, we've, we've added something that wasn't from Christ. We need to get it out. We need to reform this back into the truth. Praise God. He's called up men and women over the centuries to reform His Word, to refine His Word back to the truth that it really is. He has preserved and kept His Word. Isn't that a good thing? And you know, this still happens in degrees today where, where people just, for one reason or another, they add things into the Word. We, we mix, and we don't. We, we make a very serious point, especially at our church. In my preaching, I know Grandpa takes this very seriously and has for years as well, to preach the Word. To not add in, you know, this is you know, what I think about it and you, know, you should take that as gospel. No, if I'm telling you what I think about something, I'm going to tell you this is what I think about it. This is what the Word says though. And we're going to preach the Word. 
Not a doctrine of Isaac. Not a doctrine of any man. We're going to preach the doctrine of Jesus Christ. The gospel. Because this is the good news that has the power to save. Words of a man besides Jesus do not. Isn't that right? And so our message, the gospel. We, we use the term for preaching the gospel. You'll, you'll hear this commonly, the term evangelize. Uh, this comes from the word euangelion. Euangelion. You want to say that with me one time? Euangelion. And that word means the true message or the good news. And that is why we get the word evangelize because our gospel is the true message. It is the good news. Now we're going to get into some of the applicable part of uh, our study here. If I can get my, my clicker to work right for me. Oh, there we go. I think we're moving now. Do you have instruction for me, Sean? Do you want to add the yeah, go on to 1 Corinthians 15. I want to give you some tools now tonight as uh, we're finishing up. We're in the last 15 minutes or so of our lesson together tonight. And I want us to look at a few scriptures and a few tools that we can use in apologetics, in the practice of defending our faith, of speaking to others about why the good news is good news. Here are a few things um, that... that some of them are like memory tools. Others, like this is a verse that really just encapsulates and summarizes the gospel. Um, you know, the, the good news, evangelism, it's about preaching the, the basic message, the, the simplest part of our Bible to people. That very simple message is this, that Jesus died for our sins. He was buried. Then he rose on the third day, overcoming victoriously over sin. That is, I mean, if we were to summarize the Bible. That's what it would come down to. Jesus, who was qualified to do so, died for our sins. He was buried. He put all those sins to death. And then he rose on the third day victorious over death, hell, and the grave. Hallelujah. 1 Corinthians 15, 1-2 is a pa uh, passage of scripture that shows us this. It says, Now I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel, the good news I preached to you, which you received, in which you stand. And by which you are being saved. If you hold fast to the word I preach to you, unless you believe in vain. <clears throat> Can you click to the next one, Sean? Thank you. For I delivered you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures, that he was buried that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures, and that he appeared to Cephas, then to the twelve. He died for our sins. He was buried, and he rose. It really happened. Amen. And it's really the good news. It is really the gospel, encapsulated in just five verses. Now it's important to know the rest of the word as well, because we need to be able to go on and build upon this, but this, this is really the foundation of our good news, is that Jesus came, He was qualified to die for our sins and take the penalty. He did it. He put them to death, and then He rose victorious. Let's move on now, um, Sean, and, and we're going to go a little bit broader, and we're going to look at the seven C's of the gospel. Okay, so if, if you were to just have the opportunity to share one passage of scripture with people and talk about what it means, 1 Corinthians 15, 3 through 5 would be a great one to start at and just say, listen, this is what Jesus did. This is really what the word was all about. I mean, if, if I could only get you to read five verses and really think about and listen um, to your spirit talk about what they mean, these are the five I want you to understand that Jesus came, he, he died for our sins, he put them to death, and he rose victorious. Okay, that's a summarized version. We're going to look now a little more in depth about the seven C's. And, and I believe your kids should be learning about this tonight as well. And so if you have students, you can talk about these when you get home. We'll also have a couple of application questions we'll discuss here in a minute. But the seven C's is, is kind of a memory tool. There are seven C's to the word, okay? And those are creation, corruption, catastrophe, confusion, Christ, cross, and consummation. Let's go to Genesis 1, 31, 2 through 4. And we're going to look at creation. So the first thing we see in the Bible is that God created. It says, And God saw everything He had made, and behold, it was very good. And there was evening, and there was morning, the sixth day. Thus the heavens and the earth were finished, and all the host of them. And on the seventh day God finished His work that He had done, and He rested on the seventh day from all His work that He had done. 
first thing we know is that God created the world. And, and, and so then uh, in Genesis 2, 3 through 4, it goes on and says, So God blessed the seventh day and made it holy because God rested from all the work he had done in creation. These are the generations of the heavens and the earth. When they were created in the day, the Lord God made the earth and the heavens. So the first thing we see in the word, so we're going now a little bit beyond the very simple message of the gospel that Jesus, you know, came, died, rose. We have that. This is a broader um, expansion of that. So if you got the opportunity to talk to somebody about what the Bible is, you know, I've had those conversations where somebody who's totally unchurched, totally unaware of what Christianity is or what Christians believe, you know, you get an opportunity to talk to them about the Bible you can use this. You can say, well, there's seven C's. Maybe you don't want to say there's seven C's, but you, you mentally could say there's like seven things that the Bible uh, really talks about. The first one is that God created everything. God is the creator. He is the originator of all. He is in control. He is in charge. God's the creator. The next one is corruption. Genesis 3, 6 through 7. This is where we see sin introduced into the story. It says, so when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, that it was delightful to the eyes, and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took of the fruit and ate. She also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate. Then the eyes of both were open, and they knew that they were naked. And, the, so, and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loincloths. This is where sin entered into the story. So the first is that God created everything. He said it was good. He was pleased in his work. But then here in Genesis 3, sin entered because of, of man. Um, well, they did what they weren't supposed to do. They disobeyed God and brought sin into the world through um, eating of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Next, we see catastrophe. Genesis 6, 5 through 8. Now where the story progresses from here, God created the world, it was all good, sin entered when Adam and Eve sinned, and then what we see here is that sin, um, it just took a hold of the world and grew so rampant that God had to bring judgment on mankind. He is a just God. It's in His nature. And before there was an agreement or a covenant with man, He had to do something about sin. And, and we see that even in what we talked about earlier today, that there was a wage to be paid for sin. And because God is just, he is a just judge, the payment has to be paid somehow. Now, praise God, he paid for it with Jesus. He made a way where we don't have to pay for it, but he's just. And we see this in Genesis 6. The Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth and that every intention of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. And the Lord regretted that he had made man on earth and it grieved him to his heart. <clears throat> so the Lord said, I will blot out man from whom I created from the face of the land, man and animals and creeping things and birds of the heavens, for I am so sorry that I've made them. But Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord. Praise God for Noah. For one who was righteous, who, who found favor in God's eyes, who was living free of the sin that was so rampant in the earth. You know, I, I even, I wasn't going to talk about this, but last, uh, last Sunday, as we preached about splinters and, and, you know, we studied that and how there are thorns we need to pull out of life, what I see is that that one sin that Adam and Eve had turned into this. That one sin ended in catastrophe. It just, to me, it amplifies that message of it. it is so important that I take even the small things seriously. Because with the enemy, he, he wants to work with any small thing he can to bring total destruction and total catastrophe. And that's what we see here in the Word is that there was catastrophe, but because God is just, he dealt with the sin in the earth. He dealt with it. And he, he brought Noah, who had found favor in his sight because he was a righteous man, to bring new population to the world. That's good news. Next we see confusion. Genesis 11, 1 through 9. And so, after man had begun to be replenished on the earth, uh, there, there were you know, many tribes coming back up. And they were all of one accord. They all understood each other. They were all of one tongue. It says, now the whole earth, in Genesis 11, 1 through 3, it says, now the whole earth had one language and the same words. And as people migrated from the east, they found a plain in the land of Shinar and settled there. And they said to one another, come, let us make bricks and burn them thoroughly. And they had brick for stone and bitumen, bitumen for mortar. <clears throat> 
We all right? And then they said, Come, let us build ourselves a city and a tower with its top in the heavens, and let us make a name for ourselves, lest we be dispersed over the face of the whole earth. And the Lord came down to see the city and the tower which the children of man had built. <clears throat> and the Lord said to them, Behold, they are one people and they all have one language. This is only the beginning of what they will do, and nothing that, what, uh, nothing that they propose to do now will be impossible for them. Come, let us, the Trinity of God, go down there and confuse their language so that they may not understand one another's speech. And this is our uh, fourth C, which is confusion. This is where we see a break in uh, tribes and, and humanity. They split off. They went to different regions. They were of different languages. They went and they split off because when they all got together, they were doing something that was wrong in the sight of the Lord. So the Lord dispersed them from there. They went over to the face of the earth and they called it Babel because the Lord confused the language uh, right there in that place. So this is the fourth C, is that they, they had begun to worship idols. They were beginning to slip back into that sinful nature. They wanted to make their own name great. They wanted to build themselves this tower into the heavens to put themselves on, on similar stature with God. Look at what we can do. We're... we're incredible people. We can create anything. We can do anything. They had lost their need for God once again. And so he confused them. And that was uh, an act of mercy upon mankind. He, he saw where it was headed. And so he brought confusion so that he could have for himself a group of people that would be consecrated and righteous and holy that he could uh, keep and, and make his own. And so then, of course, uh, we, we see throughout the remainder of the Old Testament the, you know, the many stories and the prophecies and the songs of the Jewish people. Uh, God's chosen people with whom He had covenant, with whom He promised to bring a Savior for all mankind to deal with sin forever. And that is where we see Christ in John 1, 14 through 17. It says, And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen His glory. Glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth, John bore witness about him and cried out, This was he of whom I said, He who comes after me ranks before me because he was before me. This is our Lord. This is our Savior. From his fullness we have all received grace upon grace. For the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth come through Jesus Christ. Jesus came and then we see in 2 Corinthians 5:21 which we've already read but it says for the sake of he made him for our sake he made him to be sin who knew no sin so that in him we might become the righteousness of God he made Jesus the sacrifice for us you know that that may just be my favorite sea <laughs> i don't know about you but Jesus Christ on the cross i'm so thankful so thankful that he became sin so that I did not have to pay the price. And then the seventh C, which we look ahead to, is Revelation 21, 1 through 8. It says, And I heard a loud voice. This is John writing a revelation, a, a vision of, of the future, what he was know would come to pass. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He dwell with them and they be his people and God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning nor crying nor pain anymore for the former things have passed away. And behold, him who was seated at the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. Also, he said, Write this down for these words are trustworthy and true. And he said to me, it is done, I am the Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty I will give from the spring of the water of life without payment. The one who conquers will have this heritage and will be his God, and he will be my son. But as for the cowardly, the faithless, uh, the detestable for murderers, sexually immoral, sorcerers, adulterers, and liars, their portion will be in the lake, which burns with fire and sulfur, which is the second death. This is our relationship with Jesus. Because he went to the cross... We have been made right and restored into covenant with Him. We have accepted His grace. We have accepted His truth. And we have been restored as His sons and daughters. And we know that He is coming back one day. He will descend from heaven and call us all up to go to heavenly places with Him. Hallelujah. This is the good news that we have faith, trust, hope in. Let's look now as we just have a few minutes left before the kids come running, let's look at uh, just a couple of application questions. If we can go to the first one, Sean. 
How big is your gospel? I don't think I was going to answer that one, but it's very big. It's very big. <laughs> it is. Um, let's let's head to the next one. I um, I don't know if I yeah that's that's what I was looking for. Thank you. Okay, so these are the kinds of questions um, that. I think can really help, especially if you've got other individuals in your family. Um, if you want to write these down or text them in your phone or something, these would be great questions to ask kids, to ask family members um, when we're talking to them about these things, um, to see if it, you know, if it's sticking, and then help discuss it so that um, it's usable. You know, this isn't just information for us to store up and have and take up to heaven with us one day. It's information, it's knowledge, it's truth that we're supposed to use to go and share the gospel. All right, and so these, um, you know, we talked about the 1 Corinthians 15, those five scriptures, how that's a summary of the gospel. We looked at the seven C's of the gospel. Um, do you see this method of presenting the gospel being helpful? You know, these approaches we've taken tonight to kind of summarizing our big Bible. You know, I did this in, on a Sunday morning some weeks ago, but my Bible is, uh, I should really just memorize how many pages long it is. It's like, 1,078 or something like that. I mean, it's, it's a long book. Is your Bible a long book? So to hand that over to somebody and just say, here, read this, you'll understand everything. I mean, yeah, they could do that, and they would understand it. If they read wanting to understand it, they would get it, but it might be easier to have a conversation and say, hey, let me, let me give you a, a really summarized version of the gospel. Let me give you something that's easy to understand. Do you guys see uh, these approaches we took tonight being helpful in sharing the gospel with someone? I, I see it being helpful because it simplifies what many would see to be something really complex. You know, many people look at religion or at the Bible and they think it's so complex, it's so big, there's so much there. How could I ever understand it? Well, when we can, when we can break it down into... You know, a seven point, because uh, there's more to it, but you can get the gist of it in either that First Corinthians 15 and get the main message out of it, the main part of the good news. Uh, I mean, to me, that, that seems a whole lot more usable than to say, well, you know, I'm just going to hand somebody a 10,000 page, or I'm sorry, a thousand page book and, and have them read it and, you know, ask, ask me questions as you go. So I see this as being something very applicable. Um, let's look at the next application question. What other methods have you used to present the gospel? How does that method compare to what we've discussed, to what you learned in church tonight? You know, if you're talking with your kids later or other people, uh, that if you're talking with each other after service, you know, how could you use this? What other things have you used um, in presenting the gospel to people, in evangelizing? Because that's really the heart of tonight is how do we share the good news? How do we know it and, and make it applicable in life? Well, um, I, I just wrote down a couple of things that I remember utilizing um, to share the gospel with people. Romans Road was one. It takes like the main four or five verses out of Romans and like you just share those with people. Um, another one is, you know, memory verses. If I can memorize a verse, I know Grandpa always told the story about carrying a verse in his pocket and he'd just take it out and read it until he got it. Memory verses are a great way to share the gospel with people because if you've got the verse memorized, you can share it with someone else. Um, a couple other things that I think have been helpful, at least for me, are parables or stories. You know, those are things you stick with you and, and they make it like easy to understand. They illustrate it well. Um, or, or sermons, you know, even sermons. If you can find a sermon that really helped you on a topic or to understand something and share that with someone else, that can be a great way um, to bring up understanding and we had some more application questions, but we're over time, and so we better close out tonight before the kids come and get us. Amen. We don't want them to overtake us here. So let's all pray together and just thank God for the good news that we have. Lord, we're so grateful for the good news that you've given us. And not just the news, God, but what you did. We're so grateful that Jesus came. That, that he was the perfect sacrifice, able to take our sin upon his shoulders and put it to death. To pay the price of sin. To pay the price of unrighteousness so that we would not have to. God, it is your mercy and grace embodied in Jesus Christ. We're so grateful for Jesus. And we're so thankful, Lord, that you have been faithful to keep your gospel, to, to refine and reform it over the years so that we can have the truth today. God, we're so grateful that you, you took great care to preserve it and get it to us today in 2020 so that we can know the truth and we can share the truth with others. 
Lord, we thank you for it. We're so thankful. God, we, we want not just to store this up for our own knowledge, not just to find comfort in it for ourselves, God, but we want to be those that evangelize. We want to be the proclaimers of your good news. Lead us, Holy Spirit, in sharing this gospel, the good news of Jesus and what he's done. Help us know when and where and how to share the good news. I pray that some of these uh, approaches and uh, tools we've looked at tonight to approaching the good news of the gospel, looking at uh, the verse in 1 Corinthians 15, 1 through 5, or the seven C's of the gospel, these ways of remembering or summarizing the good news that we find throughout the word. Lord, I thank you that you will show us the right place and time to use those. You will give us other tools that we may need, whether it be other memory tools or, or uh, memory verses, God, or parables or stories, whatever it might take, God, to share the good news and make it graspable and understandable for the people that are lost out in the world, God. I pray, Holy Spirit, that you show us that and lead us to do it. You're so good, God, and you, you do not leave anybody unreached or untouched. We are your willing vessels to go out and touch the world. We are your hands and feet, Jesus Christ. We go with the good news, wanting to reach a lost and hurting world. We know it's true. We know that this good news is the truth, the way, the truth, and the life. God, we're grateful to you. We love you, and we pray all of this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. Well, do you know it's good news? Yes. yes. We'll go and give the world the good news.